streaming live around the world. This is Paper Cuts. Why don't we start our own show? With Brad Proctor. I forgot to break up my fancy straw. You sound insane. Do you realize that? And Jay Maddox. We are called Paper Cuts? Who came up with that name? We need like some name tags with our picture on it, all laminated and whatnot. I mean, we gotta look legit, man. We are live. So wrecked them. I, I mean, I nearly killed them. <laughs> so, oh, shoot. We, we're oh, live now, right? We're Welcome, live, everyone. Hey, <laughs> Brad, I, I got to tell you something. That fancy voice guy there, I mean, he's yeah. kind of sexy. I, we got to pay I him hear that voice. I know. What's going on, guys? This is Paper Cuts. I am your awesome host, Jay Maddox, along with my co-host. Am I a host or co-host? I guess we're co-hosts. We're, we're co-co-hosts. Co, 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 <laughs> there we go. Brad there Proctor. You, go. you know him from his channel, Brad Proctor. It's the one and only Brad Proctor. What's going on, guys? Okay. <laughs> Boy, could that be any smoother? I don't know. That so, was smooth. special guest this evening, someone I've gotten to know a little bit over the past year. He's also someone who has a restraining order against me because I've become <laughs> a, a Wear Punk Books groupie, basically. Uh, writer of Sabbath of the Fox Devils. Writer of the Very Hard to Get to All on Ash and Soros. It, he has a number of short stories in various anthologies. On top of this, the owner, operator, and editor of Weird Punk Books. This is the one and only Sam Richard. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, What's going on, Sam? Uh, you know, not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, don't, I know Brad had a question that he was dying to ask you yeah. right from, from the get-go. Yeah. This is a, a very serious, hard-hitting question. <laughs> sure. So, what in the world were you thinking when you made Jay your unofficial booktube spokesperson for Weird Punk Books? <laughs> you know, I was just really into this whole, like, 1970s DJ's payola thing to play the right <laughs> records. I was just reading about that. And I thought Jay could be that for me. There you go. Yeah. Just, just exactly. I mean, my past with working in radio, I mean, it fits. It fits. It fits. You said 1970s. I think you, I thought you were going to make an old man joke. But well, yeah. I, I mean, because when, well, you know, that's when he was DJing, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh. I figured he was primed for it. it, it <laughs> Those are some of the reasons why I'm having hearing loss now. So, <laughs> and you're half blind, you know. It's, it's just all it's all going downhill from here. Exactly. exactly. So, thank you so much for joining us on this little uh, adventure we're doing, this paper cut show, the yeah. shindig, and it hasn't collapsed yet. So, I, I think we're doing good. I think <laughs> we're doing good. I'm here to kill it for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, should we start grilling them? The let's just grill yeah. them. Who, who, who's here so far? Let's just see who's here first. We've got Nikki's here, and Nikki's got her own show. So, NW Reader's here. They're talking together. Oh, okay. They're, they're having their own conversation, and, and own they conversation. forgot we're having a show here. <laughs> Fiber Artsy's here. That's everybody in the comments so far. There's seven people watching so far. So, okay. Well, let's just pop in the chat. Let's just throw a softball here to start things off. Why start a company? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I actually didn't start the company. <laughs> okay, so there, there's a story there. Yeah, if, if you want it. Um, yeah, yeah man. Weird Punk was started by my very, like, one of my best friends, Emma Alice Johnson, who, in her own right, was a, a wonder, multiple-time Wonderland award-winning author. Uh, and in 2014... She was like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a press and I want to do an anthology. Do you want to co-edit it with me? Uh, and I was like, yeah, like, fuck it. What, what do you want to do? And she, of course, already had the idea. And that was our very first book, 
uh, Blood for You, a literary tribute to Gigi Allen. <laughs> I don't know if y'all are familiar with Gigi Allen, but I am, and that's probably the only one I don't have. I have the <laughs> anthologies on my Kindle, and that's the only one I haven't gotten yet. So. <laughs> so that was like kind of a weird, like, I'm not a Gigi Allen fan. Um, <laughs> right. But like not really that segment of punk. Uh, but the the entire idea behind it was she was like, Well, he doesn't he doesn't make sense in our world. So let's have writers write worlds that he makes sense in. And yeah. That was kind of what started Weird Punk. So we did that. It took, you know, kind of slowly figuring out everything. It took about a year to come out. And then she had, like, let's maybe do a second one. And it was the day that the launch party for the first book happened. We were talking. And it was like, it's a lot of work to do an anthology. Right. And she was like, you know what? We just did this, like, massive undertaking, this big project that took us months to do together. I want to do it again, but let's give ourselves like some breathing room before we <laughs> do the next one. And I was like, I'm good with that. And then literally the, the next day she called me. <laughs> the next anthology is Hybrid Moments, a literary tribute to the Misfits, which then ended up being the second anthology. And that we didn't do Misfits in stories. We did stories. I don't know if that shows up. Yep. Probably yeah. with a glare. Uh, we did story. We had writers take songs of theirs that weren't already based around like IP. So a bunch of their stories mm -hmm. are old B or a bunch of their songs are old B movies. Right. We're like, what the other ones? Like the other ones had people write uh, stories kind of based on those songs. Those finding narratives within those kind of surreal horror lyrics, and then uh, that again kind of took about a year, and then we started working on the third one, which was. Uh, zombie punks fuck off and at that point she was like you know i'm really like this has been really fun and i still want to do the publishing side of things but i don't really want to take the time to like do all the editing stuff and read the submissions and do that i just want to publish it so why don't you do the editing why don't you be head editor instead of co-editor on that and it was halfway through doing that book that my wife died and so I took a, it took about a year extra because I was just obviously not in a place to do anything, but yeah. was such a big supporter of my work and of weird punk and of everything that it was really important for me that that become like a published thing. Right. I only see the light of day. So I kind of scraped together what humanity was like kind of building back inside of me and put it into that. And by the time I was ready, I went to Emma and I was like, I think I'm ready to like, finish this the stories were already there it just needed you know all the edits and all that and she was like you know this kind of extra year of stuff i i've loved publishing i've loved weird punk but i don't i just want to do other stuff i want to pursue other passions so you can just have it <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was like okay and so I, I took a little time to think about it i was like well I had kind of in the back of my mind been thinking about maybe I'll start my own press. I'll still do weird, but like when she was running weird punk, I was like, I'll still do weird punk with her. But I had mm -hmm. been thinking about doing my own kind of more in the dim shores model, like limited release yeah. of novellas and whatnot. And she gave me weird punk and I was like, it doesn't make any sense to grow an entire new thing from the ground. When oh, I yeah. This. So then what made sense to me was, kind of twisting it to more fit my passions. And not that the punk stuff isn't a passion of mine, because it is, like I'm a massive Misfits fan. Uh, and I just like, I've 
been into punk my whole life. I've played in punk and metal bands my whole life. But it, I kind of got, I think after three anthologies, I got really burnt out on the punk as the aesthetic of the punk. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, it needs to be kind of more, some of my other passions need to be included. And the punk aspect of it is going to be the underlying philosophy in which I operate the press, right? Yeah. Like that old school DIY ethic, trying to be right. as good to two people as possible, trying to make everything, you know, I don't know, just equitable and reasonable and, and just that DIY spirit. Uh, not trying to fuck anybody over, not trying to make a million dollars, just trying to like do fucking something that's really cool and that I believe in. And mm-hmm. so that kind of became the punk part of Weird Punk. And that makes a lot more sense now, the name Weird yeah, Punk, where yeah. that comes from. Because I didn't know, you know, I didn't get that at first. So yeah, that makes yeah. more sense. Yeah, for her vision initially was like where punk and weird fiction collide. And I'm yeah. like, weird. That's a cool name too. I like the name. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I'm just like, Weird horror with a punk like DIY kind of ethos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the title itself. I look at it as related to music because I mean, punk music—it's it, going against the grain, going against any, anything that's established. You know, that whole mindset. So you 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 put together the writers that you have that make up your your foundation and add that punk to it, and, and that's what we have now. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's great because you decided not to change the name i mean yeah, yeah. when she gave it to you you kept that name right yeah yeah it was yeah, like, so. it didn't make any sense <clears throat> there had already been you know support for it there'd already been fans and people who liked the books and people who were encouraging the books and so then uh with the zombie punks fuck off like i didn't know what i was doing i'd never done the back end of publishing stuff i'd only ever edited and uh so i called uh lisa and Kristoff at clash books and was, oh, yeah. hey, do you want to co-release this with me? Because I literally right. have it done, but I don't <laughs> know how to do a layout. I don't know how to get it uploaded. I don't know about the various print-on-demand like options. And so mm-hmm. they were gracious enough to like help me finish that. And then the next book, uh, The New Flesh, the Cronenberg tribute that I co-edited with Brendan, like that, it was kind of important to me that that be the first book that was like my truly like my first solo weird punk release obviously he co-edited it but like in terms of Mm -hmm. my vision for the press because brendan and i started talking about doing that anthology literally the day we met uh at bizarro con i want to say 2015 but it might have been 2016 and uh we were talking about the cameron pierce put out the david lynch anthology there's Mm -hmm. there were a couple other like director forward or you know director of tribute anthologies and we we're like why the fuck hasn't anybody done a cronenberg one <laughs> like we should do that and then i was like i had approached that was still at the time when emma was running things and i was like hey i have this idea and she was like yeah it's, you know it doesn't have the punk music aspect and i was like, like That's fine. Yeah. but so then it was as soon as it was my show i'm like this is the shit we're doing <laughs> he's, he's like the weird punk of movies so yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got to fit in here somehow Basically, yeah. yeah. And I can totally see how if you kept doing punk anthologies, you'd sort of paint yourself into a corner and said you change it up and broadened and now you can basically, you know, do whatever you want to. Yeah, for sure. And I'm certainly not like opposed to punk elements being in the novellas or, you know, the anthologies that publish now, right? Like uh Seventeen Names for Skin Roll in Blackburn's novella is very punk. It's about a punk. Yeah. Uh it's got a lot of anti fascism in it. It's like right up my alley, but it's like so I'm not 
allergic to that punk aspect. It's just, you know, kind of more in the background than the foreground. Yeah, actually, I actually still owe you a review for that one. That's the, the one that I've not gotten to yet, but <laughs> give me a little bit more time. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you're doing over there, just fucking. <laughs> I, think, I think I've already read everything else, but I mean, that's the one I haven't got to yet. So, how dare you? I mean, yeah, every exactly. on. Yeah, read every Jeez. book I put out. You're supposed to be the weird punk pimp, and you'd have any. I, I have. I'll have, it, I'll have it done this weekend. Okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, got Alex down here in the comments. She says she the new Flesh anthology is amazing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love Alex. Uh, she's amazing. She's, she's actually. Um, she won. She won this. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. So glad she could stop by. Yeah, that's super cool. Being the editor and doing your stuff, uh, do you ever have issues editing your own work, or do you have somebody else do yours since you add yours to the anthologies? In the instances where I've done the anthologies and include my own short story, it was always the other editor. I like okay. making sure it's up to snuff with the other editor. Right. Which when it was with zombie punks, like I just made sure Emma I was like, would you sign off on this if you were <laughs> editing since you're publishing it? And I know that that can be a tricky thing. Some people are like editors should never put their work in anthologies. And I can understand that from a certain perspective, I guess, but it's also like I both just me and all of the, like the stuff with Emma we put out the weird punk, anthologies because they were the anthologies we wanted someone else to put out so we could write mm -hmm. stories for them and so it just like seemed like why would i put it out if i don't get to also write the story for oh, yeah. it <laughs> especially if you're like the genesis behind the idea and you're so behind the idea and pumped about it, you want to add your own voice to that story yeah. as well yeah exactly so it's just yeah it's like always making sure that uh the other person involved is like okay with it feels like it's up to the level so beautiful grotesque was kind of a new beast because there was no co-editor on that and that was just like i just invited some of my friends you know who i've done stuff with so that that was kind of we did uh so katie michelle quinn joe quinnell who wrote the mud ballad and i yeah. did laser mall together with filthy loot which was just like a joke that became <laughs> a project where we did yeah. horror with lasers and we each just wrote <laughs> I were at at Filthy Loot was like gracious enough to put it out. Still one of my favorite things we've ever worked on. And I kind of had this idea of like, oh, it'd be really fun to do another small project like that where it's like talk to a few friends and have them write stories for it. And that's what Beautiful Grotesque became. But I was like, I really still want to just do the same thing with Joe Quinnell and with Katie Michelle Quinn and then invite other friends like right yeah a couple other friends so we invited joanna koch and we invited roland because i had just worked with them and they're fucking great they're great writers and they're great people uh but i just really that one i was like okay there's not a co-editor here for me to bounce off <laughs> is my story good enough you know not that i i had just invited them so if like i didn't like any of their stories i kind of didn't know what i was going to do but luckily i like loved all their stories but i I was like, does anybody want to read this to make sure? Because, <laughs> like, I like it, and it feels very in line with the really sad shit that I write sometimes. But, like, I want to make sure that y'all feel like it's, like, up to <laughs> Well, it, it was almost like homework. Like, you gave him homework because you gave the, the piece of artwork to him. Yeah. yeah. Said, write something from this. I don't know if that would show up or not, but yeah. there's the artwork there. Yeah, that's Adislaw Piskinski. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I call everyone who put a story in this – 
I call them your gang because that's the foundation of the of the library that you have for yeah. Punk books. Yeah, the, the only, one, the only yeah. one I haven't done a solo release with is Katie. Exactly. Um, yeah, and this was the first one I checked out. But she's in the new Flash, and we did Laser Mall together. Mm -hmm. I love her, and I love her work, and I have badgered her incessantly to write <laughs> a novella. So. <laughs> That's that cool to get to work with all your friends on a project yeah, like that yeah. too. Absolutely. That, that laser mall. That's. I mean, I, I keep telling myself I got to pick that one up because I know you. You collab with Filthy, Filthy Loot and uh, who else? Clash also at times. And yep. yeah, I keep telling myself I, I got to pick up some Filthy Loot stuff and check it out too. So Filthy Loot is great. Um, yeah, that has a really keen eye for just like weird, cool shit. He and I, like, we've become friends just from like. I don't know. We just like bounce ideas off each other, kind of like a little mini publisher like friendship of like, oh, do you think this would work? Do you think this would work? I'm gonna try this. Uh, that guy has been like an indispensable source of just like bouncing ideas back and forth. Plus, he puts out really great, really cool books. Uh, I highly recommend everybody like check his shit out. It's right. Awesome. We've got author Rob Shepard down here saying that he thinks your books are awesome, and he it's good to see a publisher that's weird like him putting out books. <laughs> that's fucking awesome <laughs> man. yeah it's the weird shit the best shit right <laughs> it is, Rob it, is. Yeah. <laughs> it always is it is uh let's talk about the swag that you always give away with your with your books i mean oh, yeah. i have like a whole collection here of postcards cool and who's whose idea was the the postcards because oh. i've gotten those from a few other publishers too and i like oh, them man. i like to set them around the house and just freak out my kids every now and then but um <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I've seen a lot of my inspiration comes from music, from like, like I'm a record collector, like if right. I my camera around, you could see a lot of my record collection. I order a lot of records from indie labels, uh, again, like just punk and metal and gothy post-punk shit. And a lot of them will throw in, like, it's, it's kind of the old school thing, right? You get the, mm -hmm. even if it's not a postcard, you get like old flyers or you get stickers, you might get a button. Uh, and I was just like, I definitely have seen other presses do it too, but I was like, yeah, I just want to do that. Like that cool thing. Fuck it. I'll just have some, I, I wanted to get postcards made of every release. Some of them because the dimension, like sizing it down to the postcard size, you get a, like you lose a little text. Right. Those ones I don't, once I, I get them and if that's happened, I don't redo those ones. I just try to keep the ones in stock that are like look still really good as a postcard. But I was yeah. wanting to give every one of them like a well, let's see when it shows up, you know, how it looks. And it just became a thing. Like everybody who gets a book, as long as I have them on hand, occasionally I do <laughs> out. I'm not gonna hold your order because the stickers aren't gonna be because <laughs> yeah. I'm running out of, I'm running out of room with the stickers, by the way. I got that. <laughs> yes. I got a couple of those on my Kindle on the front of it here. Oh That's just the weird punk Kindle right there. <laughs> it is basically well, I need a place to put them. We're gonna do Kindles. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you go. special edition to Kindle. <laughs> yeah, it just I was like I had gotten some really good bookmarks from a few like uh, I really, I love uh, nice. Muzzle, Muzzle Land Press, which is Jonathan Rab. He lives in I believe Denver, and he I ordered like he's kind of slowed down because he had a kid. He's still publishing. Mm -hmm. Like his new book comes out, uh, I think through Turn to Ash pretty soon. The Secret Goatman Spook Show. Uh, That's a cool title. <laughs> you like highly recommended. He kind of runs in the same. Like I know he's friends with like Matthew M. Bartlett and kind of runs in that scene. The like weird fiction scene. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but he runs Mozilla Press, and I was really impressed by the postcard or that by the bookmark that I got from him. That I was like, "Fuck, I got to do bookmarks now." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I got a bunch of those floating around too. Just trying other to- books. <laughs> yeah, it's but like I posted recently about it. I was like, "Yeah, does do people like this? Do people? Oh yeah, people into this?" And I had it was all positive responses. So I was like, "Cool." I mean, I'll keep doing it. I just didn't know if like. You know, sometimes when I get stuff, I'm like, oh, that's cool, but I don't really have a lot of places for that stuff to go because I just own a lot of shit. So it's like maybe <laughs> a box, you know. Uh, but if people like it, like, I'll, I'll absolutely keep doing it. The one, uh, Evan Evan Jones was like, I have, he's like, I, or they, they were like, I love them, but I seriously have enough of the black and white weird punk stickers to go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever they said, like, just, you don't ever need to send me those. <laughs> but so I like all that swag because I keep like all the postcards that people send and all the stickers yeah. and bookmarks. I just keep it collected. It's awesome. I love right. all that stuff. And they're in the chat saying, you know, I love swag. Yeah. Swag's great. Cool. Everybody loves the swag. Cool. Good. I'll, I'll keep it somewhere. And then, you know, 10 years from now, we're cleaning, doing something. My wife will say, do we really need to keep this? You know, like, come I'll on. Say, yes, I do. That's my weird punk sticker. Yeah. Man. Don't mess with it. Yeah, then you know, wait till I'm at work one day, and I'll come home, and it won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I have like a envelope somewhere, I think in my back closet with all of the dim shores. Right, those come with the yeah. size print of the cover. I have like oh yeah, them are hanging up. But I was, at a certain point, I was like, I don't have enough wall space for all of these. <laughs> and they definitely look good enough to hang out. Like even the postcards, you could put them in little picture frames and put them around your desk and stuff. Yeah, they're sweet. So create like a nice background for our videos, Brad. That's right. Somehow, yeah. I mean, you got yeah. Keep repping weird punk forever, Jr. I'm cutting you off. So <laughs> exactly. Next time we have Sam on, he can have them all in his background now. Yeah. Yeah. I should yeah. Put a photo of this here. There, yeah, you should just have. You just need to get a big, big uh, sticker of weird print, of weird punk, right behind your head. Well, it, it's, like, it's like when you're younger and you, you put your favorite rock band poster in your room for the first time, oh. you know, it's got like 25 different pinholes in the corners because you keep moving it, you know, yeah. and then you got the tape on the back that's falling off. So Was it, what are they called? Fat heads? Is that what the sports ones are? You need a big fat yeah. head of the weird punk logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, hop into uh, to Wall on Ash for a second. It's a uh, Wonderland award-winning collection of short stories. Um, considering the events surrounding the writing of these stories, what does that award mean to you? In probably the most unhealthy way, it felt like validation for the pain of losing Mo. Yeah. And I really mean like it probably wasn't the healthiest reaction to have because like my pain of the loss of my wife is certainly valid and everybody's mm-hmm. pain is valid. But then yeah. like, oh, like it's really valid because I won an award. So that was like in the worst way what my ego did. <laughs> but on a like less dis- kind of self-destructive level, it just felt weirdly like it was very complex to win that award for that book. Like, yeah, I don't know that I would have written a book that good i mean i hate i don't want to be conceited but i think that's a pretty good book uh um, yeah yeah and, and the short story death like love <laughs> that goes pretty deep and yeah. i think i may have mentioned that may have been the best short story i've ever read read myself so i mean it gets pretty graphic too yeah it's pretty yeah tough. yeah it, it teeters on you know pure naughtiness i mean did you ever think <laughs> about going 
think it was going too far? Did you decide oh. to scale it back some? Is that, that the original? That fucking story like wrecked me. I mean, it was so emotionally exhausting to write. And it was constantly going into a really dark, terrible place. Right. Like, like I've in other interviews, I've talked a lot about how that writing that story was an exorcism. And it mm -hmm. truly was. That's how it felt. I wasn't sleeping. I wrote it over, I don't know, it was like three days-ish. Most of it was within three days. And the original version of it was 2,000 words longer. Like, okay. the original version, the story actually continues uh, after the end of where it ends in the book. And I, I was like, I don't know that I'm necessarily done, but I'm at, like, maybe a good stopping point. And I actually sent it to Emma Alice Johnson because... He's read a lot, you know, read a lot of my stuff and kind of helped me over so much of my writing career. And I was like, I sent it to her and I was a fucking, like I was a wreck for like an hour uh, because I felt really weird about someone reading that. But it wasn't just someone. It was also someone who was close to Mo. Someone oh, okay. Yeah. We were really good friends. They loved each other. And I had this really intense fear about like, are people going to think I'm a bad person? Are people going to think this is exploitative? That was never my intention. But are, is that what people are going to see in this? Uh, mm -hmm. is, is that the vibe people are going to get? Are they going to react differently to my intention behind the piece? Which, again, was kind of this exorcism. And it was nerve-wracking to wait for her response to reading it. Mm -hmm. And it came, like, maybe 45 minutes later, and it was like, so I've been ugly crying for like 20 minutes <laughs> and this is great. And uh, you didn't go too far. It's, you can feel the pain. It's like, clearly it's about the pain. It's about the loss. It's not about kind of the you know, gross sexual shit in it. Um, but then she had some feedback. She was like, you could actually stop it here. It didn't make a perfect, because like, you can keep it how you, how it is if you want. But you could stop it here and it would be perfect. And I like had a whole like, should I, shouldn't I? And eventually I, I was like, I'm going to see. So I read it from start to finish and just with like an end here. Right. Like, okay, yeah, actually, you're right. I still have, I, I still kind of want to flush that out into a full, like a novelette or maybe a novella mm -hmm. because I, I still have, like, I know where it was going to go. Uh, but it was truly like I, the most harrowing thing I've ever written. And the fact that I felt that way about it was what told me, like, keep writing it. Right. Mm -hmm. What told me people should read this because it it's doing something to you that no nothing I'd written at that point had done. And I've written like every story in that book from you know the time after she died uh, was its own like form of dealing with the loss. Every story in that that I wrote in the wake of her death is like little different aspects of grief and I kind of would realize either partway through or when I was done on reread being like oh this is what I'm processing through this right like the rest of the collection is you know doesn't have heavy emotional aspects oh, there's some other ones in there yeah definitely yeah. <laughs> but just the way that that one yeah kind of wrecked me like fully wrecked me I was like why that's what you need to do right in, in a weird way I'm like that's what I want art to be at least some of the time is that thing that's like this fucking hurts to write mm -hmm. so people should read it 
did, and, did winning that award like validate like other people connecting with your pain and they sort of going through the same process as you sort of mindset as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like even the whole time I was writing it, it was like, if nothing else, I don't know how people who haven't had profound loss will feel, especially like people who've never lost a spouse, but any kind of profound loss uh, mm -hmm. feel about this. But I know that it will connect at least on some level with my the widow community that I'm because I'm mm -hmm. I have a lot of young widow friends, widow widower friends, and it's like if nothing else, maybe this will help in those really dark times feel like they're not alone, especially yeah. the nuances of how those emotions can even battle each other or just be like really complex and you feel fucked up because you don't even know which one is quite at the top of the shit pile that is yeah. like loss. Uh, but just knowing that like, oh, other people have experienced this and experienced how messy these emotions can be and these desires and these drives, even though it's all fiction, it's like, those drives are there for so many people when they lose someone. So it was like, if nothing else, people who had profound loss, at least some of them hopefully will feel less alone in the- Right, make that connection there for yeah. you. So then like winning the award was like, okay, like other readers also connected with the emotional aspect. And so that was a, in a less unhealthy way, I could just kind of validation for like, hey, at least I was able to convey that like in a way that connected with other people, which right. is like as a writer, you know, kind of what I always want is like to convey an emotion inside a story. And if that- Was that good? Well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, go ahead. You know, I was just, if that lands, that it's like, I've actually done the thing, you know, I did what I set out to do. Was that cathartic, not only writing it, but knowing people, maybe you can help someone else through a dark time that you experienced too? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, incredibly cathartic writing it for sure. Yeah. Uh, I definitely feel like I, in some strange way, that book kept me alive. It also helped me process through a lot of that grief and like, oh, mm -hmm. figuring out that through the page, like I'm dealing with a certain weird element of loss, but then definitely uh, having, especially again, like knowing that widow friends of mine who are not horror fans read it. Mm -hmm. yeah. felt that connection and felt that like understood where it was coming from, even though it wasn't, you know, wrapped in a story type that's their thing, or it was definitely, you know, more gross or more dark than what they normally write, or sorry, what they normally read. Uh, that like definitely made me feel like really, it was a cathartic moment. Like when I would get those, like I finished your book. Oh my God. I felt everything. I know all these feelings. Like, oh, okay. no, yeah. You know, and then it just the it's right as a transfer because it's me putting it out there, being like, in in some regard at least, like you're not alone in feeling this. And then when you get that feedback, they're saying you're not alone in feeling this. Yeah, and that's right. really powerful. That's like such a cool thing. Was there like, a vulnerability you were afraid of in putting it out there to the world? Absolutely. With how, per with how personal it was to you. Yeah, especially really, truly the first story and the last story, right, are the most, there's not so much like fantastical stuff in those stories. It's still horror, but it's very human horror. And so the, like to wallow in ash at the first story is mm -hmm. I had people ask, I've had multiple people ask me how her ashes tasted, right, as though that was something that I actually did and then wrote about. Right, because it's just believable. I mean, it, it, it. I mean, that's the that's what you got to cross. Because yeah. I even thought myself, like, okay, I got to ask him. Did he really do this? You yeah. know, 
Yeah. It's all fiction. I mean, there's truth in there, but I never exactly. Is, but like everything's wrapped in truth, you know, to yeah. some degree or another. But uh, yeah, that that kind of awkward, you know, at times, but feeling really vulnerable with that story and the last story, like really specifically the last story. Uh, so that the Tuolo and Ash, the first story was in an anthology prior to it was in the Strange Behaviors anthology that Nihilism Revised, who published the collection, uh, put out. And so people had read it before the book came, before my short story collection came out. So they, I had already had that reaction from people being like, did you, did you actually eat her ashes? Right. So then putting out the short story collection with the Death Like Love in it, being like, are people going to have the same fucking reaction to the story about necrophilia? <laughs> like, truly, like, I didn't, yeah. it's like, are people, that was part of the thing. Are people going to think, if they thought that story is real, are they going to think this story is real? It's like stepping stones. You do something that's not as bad as that. So it's sort of believable. And you take it to the next step. It's like, oh, maybe he did that next step. Maybe, oh, maybe he really did do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it is, there's like a lot of vulnerability in that. And people being like, are they going to think I'm a terrible person? Or are they going to think <laughs> actually did that because it is you know and i say in the back uh like there's the little story notes in the back of the collection where i just kind of talked about genesis or different things about each of the stories and in that i, I mentioned it it was like that entire death like love the entire story was born out of like one small moment like inside that there was a fucking room that her body was in after she passed at the hospital like in the er they put her body in a room so we could all say goodbye I was the mm -hmm. last person to say goodbye and I was sitting there and I, you know, it's like that desperation of like, you can't be dead. You can't be dead. Right. Uh, having that, like, there are all the things we'll never do ever again. And it's like mm -hmm. a, a million fucking things, you know, we'll never go on the trips we wanted to go on it. Even and it's like the grandiose stuff, but it's also like the day to day shit, which is super important, which is like, why you're with the person you're with typically right. yeah the day-to-day -day shit and so it's like you know i'll never fucking kiss her again we'll never have sex again we'll never sit on the couch and eat pizza and drink beer and watch schlocky horror movies again you know <laughs> yeah. we'll never, yeah. i don't know just like we'll never go out to eat we'll never take a walk around the lake we'll never have like the kind of conversations that you know we would have together like all of it it's all gone and so there was that moment of like we're never going to embrace in that way ever again. Like a lifetime all in one moment. Just, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's gone, right? Entirely gone. Yeah. And so that was born out of that idea of like so much of that book, so much of my grief writing is the protagonist typically of pretty much always a stand in roughly for me. Uh, <laughs> and the loss pretty much always roughly a stand in for Mo. The surviving spouse deciding to do grief the wrong way and not that there's a right way or a wrong way but like the most unhealthy way right yeah. to, to follow that in the most unhealthy direction and so it was like what would that moment have looked like in the most unhealthy way and that's what that book is that's and right. you're you're re-releasing this next next summer is that what you told me yeah with, with some b-sides there's no B-sides, but oh. there's plans for a 2022 re-release with another small press. A contract hasn't been signed. So, you know, but I mean, we've talked about it. It's They approached me and they're great. I love them. So I, I'm stoked to do it. It's just I can't announce, fully announce until a contract has been signed. But I definitely, whatever happens, if it's 
for some reason that doesn't happen. Like Weird Punk will put it out or something. Yeah, so okay. Yeah. But I, it's really important to me to add something to it because people bought it and I want to incentivize like, well, there's a new thing in it. And, yeah. you know, there was a couple, like two of the stories had some errors in them that I wanted to get fixed too. Uh, so it'll be like a kind of revised version plus either a novelette or a novella that'll be like right in that same kind of vein. Uh, so just to like give people... Like here's not just one more story. Here's like twenty thousand more words. <laughs> yeah, story, right. You know, that's just you won't be able to get standalone. It'll only come in that. Um, yeah, it's it sucks to have it win an award and then like two fucking months later go out of print. <laughs> and that was partially me, I guess. So like nihilism revised. Se Burke who runs that, who's a very dear friend of mine now. I love that guy like a brother. Uh, He's had a lot of health problems, and I'm not like outing this. He's he's pretty open about it on his own social media, but it got to a point where it was like kind of inhibiting his ability to effectively run the press. Mm-hmm. And so he basically made the decision that all of the books will be going out of print, uh, and he does. I think it's a two year window, and then you know you can opt to keep it in print or pull it. So he's going to let the contracts run out for everything. And there was some part of me that was like, I don't want this to just like the time run out and then it's gone. That feels worse than me saying like, okay, you're, it's going to go out of print anyhow. I'm going to make the decision to put like a few months early or whatever it was. Uh, so I technically am the one that made it go out of print, but <laughs> I was like, you know, this is going to loom over my head until I just do it. So I'm just going to do it. There's two comments here from my friend Dana talking about this. You know, books have helped me through many dark times as therapy or just an escape. And she follows that up with, you're not alone is one of the kindest things you can say or do for someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And like fiction, I mean, nonfiction too, but fiction has such an innate ability to do that, to help people when it's, when you're having a hard time, when shit's dark or you're going through whatever trauma or loss or grief or just because it's depression or just day-to-day shit, like books can very much make you feel like you're not it's so cool. So you started a uh, subscription this year, and it, it, from your tweets, it looks like it's pretty successful. I mean, what was the whole idea behind that? that I know was, you. Yeah, I know you'd mentioned it one time. It was about you know the old uh, what was it buy a bunch of cassettes for a pity. Oh, or, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I was getting out of it. Because, oh, no, no. I just, I follow, like I said, I'm a big record collector. And yeah. I follow a lot of small record labels who do subscription clubs. And it's not like the... Not like you, you, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you remember. I think, I think it was like Electra or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah you, you would get it. You'd be like, get 16 for a penny. And then they didn't tell you that <laughs> you each, one, each one you bought was $25 when you yeah. get it for $10 down at the local... Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I just like like there's a couple record labels. There's a metal record, mostly metal record label from Wisconsin called Gilead Media. And there's a movie, like a eighties, mostly eighties B movie soundtrack record company, uh, called Terror Vision. Like they mm-hmm. did I don't know, they've done a bunch of cool shit. Uh they did the brain, they like put the brain soundtrack out of on just on that B movie stuff. Uh, anyhow, they both do subscription clubs where it's a yearly, you pay up front, right. you get, it's usually, I think, like, a limited, may it, like, subscriber-only variant of the vinyl color, mm-hmm. 
uh, and you get them just as they come out. You basically just, it's essentially a pre-order and you save a little money. Uh, and I was like, I've never seen a small press do that, but it seems like I know the guy who wrote Gilead and it seems like pretty good. Like I think it does well enough for him and it helps him. It's really about like cutting down those, not just cutting down, but like those upfront costs, making sure they're covered. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the, I, the money's there. Right. So yeah. If right. One of the releases doesn't sell like I hope it will. I still have the money to put out the records. And I was just like, I've never seen the small press do it. Maybe one has, but I've just not seen it. I was like, what if I did that? Why can't I do that? I can fuck it. I can do whatever I want. I run this. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And it, you limit it to 30, right? Yeah. Was it 20, 20 or 30? 30. I can't remember. Yeah. 30. I waffled back and forth between 25 and 30. I was just like, not sure. And then for a while, it was sitting at like just over 25. It was like mm-hmm. 26 and subscribe. And I was like, fuck, I should have done 25 and it could be like done because it just felt like it's fine. I, I don't expect people to here take money for books that I don't, some of them I haven't announced yet. You yeah. know, it's like, I don't know that I'll like this for sure, but I don't know. People eventually they all sold down, it like completely sold out. And then I even oversold it by one because my sister was like, I want to get that for our dad for. <laughs> Hey, are you sold out? I was like, I'm sold out, but I have, I had like two extra beer koozies. I have all the prints. I have all the, I do like book gets a postcard print of that book with right. it. And then each release gets its own sticker, like different new weird punk sticker. And then you get the bookmark and you get the koozie. And I was like, I have, cause the minimum amount of koozies I could get was 40. I've given it all away, but I was like, I had an extra. So sure, my dad can have one. <laughs> I, I suppose we can make an exception. That's yeah, right. yeah. You know, maybe for my dad. <laughs> so yeah. your, your dad getting the, the subscription, is your family pretty supportive of Weird Punk and your writing and everything? Yeah, it's really interesting because my, my sister is one of my biggest supporters, for sure. Mm-hmm. And my dad is also, like, extremely supportive. And then my mom and my stepdad... Like I, I was asking my sister about it, uh, I don't know, a while ago. I so I have a little tangential thing. I have a short story in the Oculus Sinister anthology that Chthonic Press put out. Cia Mueller, who puts out the night scripts uh, yearly mm-hmm. uh, anthologies, he did this one-off. It's all like high horror, and the story in that I was like, I want to do. Can't read that. <laughs> it's high horror. Good stuff in there. Like John Langan is in there, and. Uh, I don't know, just like a bunch of really cool people. But I was like, I gotta fucking write, I started to write the story and it ended up kind of being about my relationship with my mom, and mm-hmm. which is complex to say the least. And like, it's fine, but I was kind of putting a lot of like, oh, that's, you know, things are weird and sometimes hard and especially in the wake of grief. And so I wrote this whole story and then I got published and I went, does my mom read my stuff? <laughs> yeah. So I asked my sister, I was like, we went over there. It was during COVID, I feel like during, uh, so we were like out in her garage, everybody wearing masks, you know, but I like took her around the corner. <laughs> I was like, so does like, does mom read this stuff? Because if she doesn't, <laughs> make sure she doesn't read this story. And, uh, she was like, yeah, actually, I, I can ask. I don't think they read it, but I'll ask her and my stepdad. And she talked to them a few days later because I didn't really want to ask. 
And uh, we talked to them a few days later and they were like, so is it all like weird horror stuff? And he's still doing that? Like those were the- <laughs> Still <laughs> was- doing that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's still doing it. And he actually just got a story <laughs> an anthology that just came out. But you don't need to read it because it's <laughs> one of the better ones. <laughs> just, just be proud of them. You don't need to check it out. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's a bit weird. And it is strange to have, again, especially like the really intense stuff it's very much about losing Mo. It's like weird to know that my dad read that. And it, uh-huh. when my, my sister was reading to all of an Ash and other sorrows for like a long time, she was kind of spacing it out because it's intense and she and Mo were very close. And I sent her a message around when she was getting close to finishing it. I was like, I'm really sorry. Like that you have like about that last story. Like if that was really <laughs> intense or like too much or because I get it. Uh, and she was like, oh, I didn't read it. Dad warned me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you got to apologize ahead of time now. Like, I'm going to release something, okay? Just be ready for it. Just yeah. Ready <laughs> so uh, the the writers that kind of make up your foundation, do you pursue them? Are they, are they coming to you with what they have? How does one become published by We're Punk Books? It's a bit of a mixed bag uh, historically. So when I... Uh, Joe Cornell's The Mud Ballad was the first. Uh, that, that's a masterpiece, by the way. Oh, God, it's so good. I need more people to read that. I love the cover. The cover is awesome on that. Yes. The cover was the uh, photo was done by my friend Neil Ausch, who's a photographer in Canada. We used to live in Minnesota, and we've been friends for years. And then Don Noble did the text on it, but I fucking love that cover. So is it a, is it a real pig head? It's a real pig head. He does these. That's awesome. Neil Ausch, like, if you look him up, he's, like, in magazines and stuff. His he does these still life, a lot of still life with like carcass material uh-huh. and dead animals. And he's a vegan and it's not, super, <laughs> it's like not super in your face. It's vegan art, right? He just like, he's just making these compositions with dead things. That's a story right there. Vegan having to photograph dead animals. That, yeah. Yeah. But I know for sure it is like commentary to some degree, but it's still also, they're yeah. just amazing, beautiful pieces of art. Uh, but yeah, so Joe is a old, is a, not super old, but he's a friend of mine. I first met her through Zombie Punk's Fuck Off. She submitted to it, mm-hmm. uh, got in, like we became friends, and then we met at the next, like that Bizarro Con, because she lives in Seattle, and that Bizarro Con, or Bizarro Con happens in kind of by Portland. And so we ended up hanging out and just becoming like, now she's like one of my best friends, one of my favorite people. We talk, she's great. Uh, we talk often. Anyhow, so she was around the time that Grindhouse was opening for subs, like in 28, it must have been 2018 or so, 2019 maybe, or 2019. Uh, she hit me up and she was like, so I wrote this novella a while ago and I last time I read it after I finished, I thought it was just shit. So I threw it in a folder <laughs> and I didn't think about it again for like a year. And I was just the other day, I was curious about it. So I opened it up and looked through it and I went, fuck, this really isn't too bad. This is actually kind of good. And she was like, would you read it and let me know if you think it's good enough to submit to Grindhouse? And, I, and just like as a, like we'll, we'll beta read each other stuff all the time, give notes, give feedback. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to read a novella you wrote. Cause she's a, I like already know she's a great writer. Uh, so I read it and I was fucking blown away by it. Yeah. Yeah, damn good. And so I don't 
fully remember saying this. She, in an interview, said that I said this. I said, well, it's not probably right for Grindhouse. <laughs> and I didn't mean to be shitty. Like, maybe they would have published it. But I read that fucking story, and I went, like, I want to publish this. And uh, I was like, let's fucking do it. Like, I had already been contemplating moving into novellas because anthologies are so expensive to produce, mm-hmm. especially like when you're doing the big ones with like fucking between 10 and 20 stories or whatever. Uh, it's a lot of money because you're paying for the stories, obviously. And I want to make sure I'm paying like at least a cent a word, just the line I have. I wish it could be more, but it's always been a thing for me. And uh, I was like, but they're really expensive. Like the new flesh costs a lot to make. And it was like, maybe novellas, I talked to some people, like I talked to Nick and Don at, you know, Strange House and Rooster Republic to kind of pick their brain because they've been in this for a long time too. And Rooster like, Republic's great. Yeah, I fucking, I love both those guys and they put out amazing books. So it was mm-hmm. like picking their brain on it. They're like, yeah, novellas are cheaper. They're cheaper to produce. Yeah. And everybody loves them. Like they're super quick to read, get through them quick. Everybody's just, I think the novella and horror is like the hot thing. Agreed. And it's like my, it's probably my favorite type of horror to read. I love short stories too. And I love novels, but I just, novellas, they're succinct. It's, you can read them in a sitting or two. So anyway, so I was like, had already been kicking it around. Like, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do this. And then it was like, fuck it, let's do this. And so I told, told Josie, told Joe, like, let's just fucking, just going to publish this shit. If you want me to publish this shit, I'm not going to make you, you know, make you let me publish it. But if you want, and, she was like, fuck yeah. And so we, I was just getting done with like final edits on Sabbath of the Fox Devils. I was like, I have my first two releases. Let's just go. And I had, I had decided, I had like thrown that to a couple people and then pulled it. It got rejected from one press. And then I had like three or four other presses were looking at it. And I was just like, I don't know. I, I have a vision for the cover. Like I knew exactly what I wanted it to be. I knew I wanted to work with Michael Bukowski. I was like, fuck it. First wave of weird punk novellas. Our joke went out the mud ballad and my own Sabbath of the Fox Devils. And then from there it was like, how do I figure out if I, you know, what I'm going to publish next, who I'm going right. to publish next. And ultimately kind of the system I've developed is I definitely have, Writers who I'm a fan of, who I know they're like good people or decent people. Because, uh, you know, I have the whole thing. Like, I fucking won't work with scumbags. I won't. Even if the book is amazing, I'm not going to fucking ever publish the one who's like a white supremacist or <laughs> or any of Fuck that shit. You know? Is that on the application that they have? <laughs> it's, it's in the contract. Like, yeah. It's literally in the contract. You, I fucking will not work with that type of person. And so it's like, I want to know. And I also just don't want to work with assholes. Right. You know, it's like I want to know <laughs> like decent people because there's a, it's not just a business relationship, but you also don't want to work with an asshole in a business relationship, right? You want it to be like a friendly, good person. So I, I was asking, I've asked a lot of writers I know to submit stuff to me when they're, you know, when they have it. But then I was like, okay, how do I, I have a lot of people who are like, I'm writing something, I'm writing something, I'm writing something. So it was like, I don't know, like a couple people started reaching out to me and that's, like, the next book was Roland's book. And he was just like, hey, I have this novella, and do you want to read it? And I, I started, I was like, okay, as a one-person operation, and at the, at the time with a full-time job uh, and a 
dog and a fucking girlfriend and a, all of this other life stuff and my own writing. How am I going to make this feasible? Because I've seen small presses do open submissions on novellas, and it's like they'll be like, oh, my God, we got 120 novellas. Oh, then, yeah. <laughs> now you have to go through all. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now I need to try to read them in two months. And I, that sounds like hell. Yeah. So I started doing a thing where I was like, if anybody hit me up with a thing, I was like, okay, it has to be finished. Don't ever, like, don't pitch me on something that's not done. Because then if I really want to read it, I'm like, where is it? Wait yeah. till it's done. And give me, like, back cover copy. A pitch that's like, it doesn't need to be exactly what the back cover copy will be for the book, but roughly how you would write Here's the, Real, the, the elevator pitch. Yeah, if you picked it up in a bookstore. And then give me kind of tones and influences on it so I could kind of suss out a realm. Like, does it sound like the realm I'm into? And so that's been a lot of the things that I've published have been people, you know, hit me up. Sometimes I'll have open periods where I'm like open to novellas, submit like pitches, mm -hmm. and I'll get some bites and I'll, you know, go through and then I'll there'll be a handful that are like, that sounds really cool. And not that they don't all sound cool, but it's about like, is, is this right for weird punk? Is this right, right, right. for the press? I have a whole thing where I, it's my hope, and maybe this isn't a reality, but it's my hope that whoever, or like if somebody picks up any one of the books, hopefully they would also like any of the other of the books. That <laughs> same feel to it, yeah. yeah. They're all yeah. different. They're all their own voices, but they're all weird punk. Mm -hmm. and that's like a whole weirdly just a thing like that I kind of want it to always be. So it's like I've read some that have been like really cool, good, but just not just not right for the press. And so that's kind of how it's been going forward. And I have sort of an open, a seat, maybe kind of secret, not so secret now, open door policy <laughs> on pitches if it's people I know, if it's yeah. people, especially people I've worked with in the past uh anthologies or whatever just like friends like i'm like if you've got something you think i'll like like i might i'll probably like it <laughs> so even <laughs> i post on submissions on the website like pitch submissions on the website if i like know your thing and you know my thing and we're friends like i'll i'll send it my way you know and i'll if if i have the time if it sounds like it's up my alley right and there's been kind of a thing because weird punk with those first couple anthologies we like came out of the bizarro scene mm -hmm. like i'm the, the wonderland award is the bizarro award uh or like a bizarro award but it's like the big award in bizarro and i i've always called myself a bizarro adjacent writer like because mm -hmm. that was like pure bizarro but it is weird and that's kind of where i got weird horror but so that's kind of been a thing is like pushing the people's understanding of what weird punk is and what i do into the like no it's horror <laughs> Right, yeah. it, it, for weird horror, I want it to be weird horror, but horror first. Yeah, I, I've yeah. I've heard people actually mention Bizarro when they were talking about weird punk, and I've chimed in. I I say it's totally different. I mean, yeah. not a hundred percent. There's some you know bizarre stuff happening, yeah. but there is a difference. There's a feel to it because Bizarro. I mean, it seems way more out there. Than yeah, it. yeah. It, <laughs> there, there's just a feel to it. I, I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm so drawn to it and what I like. I mean, that's just me. But yeah, it's like I mean, I, there's a couple of the books that I would say are closer to Bizarro. Like yeah. Mud Ballad is very close to Bizarro. It has Bizarro elements for sure, but it's still 
fucking weird horror. <laughs> right. Like like the bizarre stuff does not overtake the book. The, yeah. the horror is the horror is still there yeah. and the weirdness is still there. Yeah. But it's not over the top bizarre to make you think yeah. what well, this is just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, just yeah. just bizarre for the sake of being bizarre. Exactly. Yeah, I kind of exactly. think of like so I I really see with all of the different horror and kind of horror adjacent subgenres, there's so many weird walls and dividers that I don't feel like I mean personally like I read a lot of the different stuff, you know, and I don't think that they're all super necessary. But I, I really, if I think about weird punk and, and my own writing too, like where it kind of sits in this pantheon of different types of horror and horror adjacent genres, I really feel like it's kind of a Venn diagram that includes splatter punk, bizarro, cosmic horror and weird fiction and just horror. And like that little thing where all those meet, like that's weird horror. <laughs> yeah, that, that's your pie chart. <laughs> include elements of any of those and and other ones too. Those are just off the top of my head. But it like has to include elements of more than one of them to, to like fit in that like, oh yeah, it's really, it's strange. It's weird. It can be more creepy, but it sometimes is more splattery. It can kind of be a lot of different things. Yeah, but it's also a little different than any one of those things, and that's the kind of shit I've always been drawn to. Right. Like the thing is, it's a little fucking weirder, a little different. So, when's the next time you're going to? When's the next time you're going to throw out? Hey, send me stuff, people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had a number of people ask me that recently, and I was kind of gearing up to, but now I don't know. It might not be until late this year. Yeah, uh, and it, it'll all depend too, because like I said, I have a number of people who are like, "Oh, I'm writing something for you." So if I get those and I like them, then those are like filling slots in right. last yeah. couple this year and early next year. And I have a few things I still need to read for consideration. So it's just I never want to overwhelm myself. With exactly. Them. Yeah. It's just, again, like I don't I, and I don't even have a job, but I just still feel like I especially with Eric's book. Like I go to the post office literally every day. I'm packing orders every night. <laughs> Which yeah, is I, I was going I was going to save that one, but since you brought it up, I mean, it's a good it, problem to have. But it's like you know, <laughs> doing a lot of weird punk stuff lately. Before yeah, we dive into that one, just Rob down here saying weird punks, not Carl Carlton Mellick the <laughs> third. Right. Yeah, and I love Carlton exactly. He, like he's a great writer. We're just not. It's not quite on that like. Not not, not that level. <laughs> that level. Yeah, it's just a different thing. It's just a different flavor, and you can see some of that in some of the like Roland like. 17 names for skin is also like pretty bizarro too. And I think he's, you know, like Eraserhead published his first book. So he's mm -hmm. very firmly from that scene too, but it's just, it's just a little different. I, Brendan Vedito and Charles Austin Muir and Lucas Mangum and I have all talked about like, cause I know them all through the bizarro scene. There's yeah. always, like, we're not like the pure bizarro guys. We're the weird horror guys. <laughs> so. It's like, I, I can see like a playground fight bizarro, Weird horror beaten up in the <laughs> beaten up in the middle. Okay, we're going we're going to have this out. We're going to have this out somehow. Well, they would a, a wrestling match. There's yeah. so many more of them than there are of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So speaking of Eric's book, I mean, you, you had to there. exactly. <laughs> you you had to foresee the success, right? The, yeah. What has this been like? Just absolutely blowing up the way it has. What's that been like for you and Weird Punk? It's really surreal. <laughs> uh, you know, it's every release I always hope will like catch a catch a wind, catch a like get two people in a way like that. I don't know. Some, sometimes a book just lands at like, I don't know if it's the perfect moment and it's the perfect thing, but 
for whatever reason, you want that for every release, but this fucking did it, and boy, yeah. did it do it, like, beyond my imagination at this point. And I it, feel like I saw his Twitter, like, one of his posts about, Eric's post about this had, like, a thousand likes on it, which was just insane. Yeah, it's gone. People talking about the book now two different times have been gone viral on TikTok. Yeah. yeah. And by far, literally the one there was somebody I think posted yesterday. Uh, it was three of the most disturbing reads or something. And Eric's was one of them. And it had like 30,000 likes or something like something really mind blowing. Uh, so it, yeah, it's in a weird way. It's been kind of overwhelming. <laughs> I order a case of the book. And by the time it gets here, it's almost sold out. So I don't right. have another one. And it's a combination of like, obviously it's on all the print on demand, like you get it on Amazon, you can get it on bookshop, you can get it on Barnes and Noble and all these other places. And you can get the ebook from all those places. Plus it's on Godless for a dollar cheaper if you're an ebook person. But I'm always trying to like direct people to, if they're in a, the US at least, direct people to buy the book from Weird Punk. Because yeah. it's more money for the press and it's more money for Eric. Right. right? Just mm -hmm. like Amazon and shit, they take a huge cut. And there's a lot more money to go around, which is great. But it also means that sometimes, like, there was a bit there where I was going to the post office. I had to go to the post office multiple days in a row, with <laughs> 40 books at a time, because I didn't want to. Oh, they were loving to see you. Yeah. I didn't want to show up with like 120 books. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's media mail, you can't order that off the USPS website. Right. You got to do it in person. Yeah. So it's like sitting there, you know, standing there for like an hour to get them to find. <laughs> and they're always really nice about it. But I always feel bad, like looking at the line behind me, like, sorry, guys. <laughs> this book blew up. Uh, and then, did you get a box, a box in? You're like, okay, how am I going to let people know I have this box in? Because it's going to go crazy. Yeah. Meet me at midnight on the corner. You, know, you got your trench coat. You, you open it, it and all the pockets. Yeah. <laughs> password to get it. Hey, hey, I got some weird, was weird horror for you here. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I definitely knew that by, that book would strike a chord. Uh, working with Eric was so cool. He's such an awesome guy. In the moment, like he described the book because I did the pitch thing too. You know, yeah, yeah. The, it's definitely, it's definitely weird. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> He said the key words. He said, I kind of wrote it thinking about color. He's like, kind of like A.G. <laughs> Ballard, Dennis Cooper, and David Cronenberg. And I was like, three of my favorites send it to me right now <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> it, I, I just think it's so cool. Like other writers are, are wanting to get it too. Like Chalutsky is the one who won my giveaway today. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just pretty cool. And, and yeah. he, he entered, as soon as he saw the, the contest, I mean, he tweeted it out for me too, a few times. So that's pretty cool. Other writers are just wanting to get on board with this book from Eric. And I, I, I just, that's great. So I don't know Chad super well. We're like, we're friends on Facebook, but yeah, God damn. Can that guy write? Uh, yeah. He's, he's uh, like, I say this every time, and it sounds like I'm putting it down, but I mean this in like the best way possible. Oh, no, I, I said the same thing. I think we agree about like, it. Yeah, his writing is like so simple, but in the most positive way I can say it. It's yeah. just it, I don't it's know, so inviting so clean and crisp, and just straight to the point about it. It's just his writing's great. Yeah, it, it, it's like it's like it's just so invite. It's so simple and straight to it, but it, it invites you in. It, yeah, it's yeah. like a warm blanket around you. So it's just, and he's still with it being so simple. He still has that prose magic in there yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of that. It's like the 
he's definitely a different writer, but that Lansdale style, right? Of like, it's really, cool, yeah. really precise. There's not more words than there needs to be. I think Lansdale's one of his big influences too. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I mean, for so many of us. <laughs> yeah. So what was it? Did you get this blurb on the back from Mallerman or did you, did Eric do that? That was actually Eric. Uh, that okay. was all Eric because he is managed by Ryan uh, Spin, Spin a Black Yarn. Spin the Black yeah. Yarn, yeah, yeah. The movie company. Who also manages Josh. Or yeah. Josh's manager. So Eric managed to get him to I mean, I mean Eric is obviously super talented but it's always so yeah. cool to see somebody like hit that like okay he's managed by the same guy who manages Josh. Well, that, that, that's a big blurb to have on there that's a good yeah. one so, so he sent it to him he you know I'm usually like for a blurb I'm like we should aim for two to four is like the sweet spot for a book mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, and kind of maybe ask a few above that if you want to ask four people, if you want four, ask five or six. Because some yeah. people aren't just aren't gonna get to it. You know, they're not right, right. read it. I know I've done that in the past. Like, sorry, I meant to read that for you for a blurb, but like I did not have time. Um, it just is the nature of the beast, especially with other writers who are busy and everything, so much going on. But uh he ended up managing to get like a really a lot of blurbs, which is well deserved, but it was really funny. He's like, I got this one, and I got this one. <laughs> like, like two pages of them. Yeah, we can fill as many pages as you want, and they're great yeah. blurbs by amazing writers. Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> that's another one. I'll send it to some of the authors. I know Chad Lesky says this, like, he'll sort of agree to tentatively blurb it, but he has to like the book. He's yeah. not just gonna blurb yeah. it if he doesn't like it. Yeah, same. And I think that's what most people do. Yeah, yeah. We got to talk about uh, this cover, by the way. Oh, Maria Abrams. Oh my God! And it's such a great book too. But I mean, that cover—I I have it sitting on my shelf, so it should be the back of my videos now. But I mean, that cover <laughs> she did it herself, right? Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. A, she's a graphic designer by day, so part of my process is always so like when I, as a writer, hard in case people want to. When I'm writing things, I'm always like thinking visually because I'm a very uh -huh. visual person, which is why the weird punk books look really good because it's I do. all the yeah. covers look great look really good and i'm not like trying to be an arrogant jerk but they, they look good like it's i go out of my way to make sure they like fucking pop like they say don't judge a book by cover by its cover but people judge books by their covers absolutely and it, you know in a weird way like i don't think that's totally wrong you know you yeah. want to see somebody took the time and the care to make something look good because um, if you slapped it together in five minutes in paint, I'm probably not going to pick your book up. Exactly, because I'm assuming the insides are going to reflect that same yeah. kind of hastily, shoddily put together thing. Yeah, so as a writer, I'm always like thinking about the book cover as I'm writing a thing. And I don't know if other people work like that. So every time an author comes, you know, I'll put out their book, uh, when the contract is signed, one of the first conversations I have is, what do you want like among a long list of things that you know that we're going to talk about and think about well, i was like what do you think uh about the cover do you have any ideas do you have any artists do you have even a direction or an image and for me it's important that the author obviously has a say in that and it's a collaborative mm -hmm. thing there's things i have to consider and there's but i also want to make sure that they have a say and like more than a say that it's a collaboration i just like like yeah. I'm sure it looks, it's kind of up to my visual standard, my aesthetic mm -hmm. standard, and like fits within weird punk. Again, that's a pretty open thing. There's a lot of room in there, but there's certain right. covers that just would not 
fit as weird punk covers. So, yeah. you know, with her with that, I was like, is there an art? I, I was like, I know you're a designer. You can design it if you want, but no pressure. Like, you do this all day. If you want us <laughs> to hire someone, we can hire someone and, and like, or hire, get some art or whatever you want. And she was like, yeah, I think I want to do it. I was like, yeah, no pressure, like no pressure. <laughs> but if you want to do it, that would be fucking cool. It, it fits the story so well too. I mean, that's it makes sense because she's in the you know yeah. she knows that book so well. She knows how that book is, how that book feels. And she hit me up like she was like, I'll think about it. I'm pretty sure I want to do it. And she hit me up. I think it was like five or six days later, and she had three mock-ups. And she mm -hmm. was like, you know, I just made these. Uh, just kind of over the past couple of days, these are three different possible directions. These aren't final. They're just like ideas that I have. We can tweak stuff. We can change stuff. She's like, you know, I do this all the time as a job. So I have no yeah. ego attached to this. <laughs> like I get, but it's also your book. So I want you to like make sure that it looks good for you. Uh, but there, one of the three was like an early version of what the cover ended up being. Yeah. It's still really close. Like there were, we made a few changes, but I was like, that's it. Like you fucking nailed it. <laughs> definitely, it's like again, kind of a maybe a little different than some of the other book covers. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so stunning and it's so cool and it's weird and it just, God, she's a great fucking designer. And, and speaking of blurbs, like we were just a second ago, I mean, I fucking love this book. That's from Ali Say on the back of it. So <laughs> there, you, there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the other thing, right? Like I, I always go like. Are there, is there anybody you want to ask? Yeah. Is there yeah. anybody who I have, you know, some connection to who I could ask or authors or, you know, people, you know, you want to ask, we can figure that out. And that was one where she was like, yeah, I don't really know. Like, and we kind of spitball. And I was like, Allie is amazing. And she's actually the next weird. The next one. Yeah. I was going to bring that so, up. Yeah. You have her coming up. And she and I have become friends and she's so sweet and she's so fucking good. She's such a good writer too. And I was like, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me that she would, like, go down hard. Like, they're very different books. She rules the dead and go down hard are different books, but similar kind of spirit, similar kind of vein, you know? And I was uh -huh. like, let's ask Allie. And uh, Maria was like, yeah, fuck, let's do it. And luckily, she liked it. I mean, she loved it. And <laughs> it was a killer blurb. Looks like uh, we're selling books here in the comments. Yeah. So just, <laughs> I have a reader went to the site. Oh. Megan Lucas ordered some books. Cool. And they answered Jim's Splatter question. Jib, yeah. Hopefully in a year, uh, next summer. Reprint. Yeah, <laughs> reprint uh, 2022. With uh, new, new additional stuff with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Wingspan's got an awesome cover, too. And that fits the story. Because that, that, it's so abstract. That and, I mean, and, and we can't forget about years, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can't forget about yours like honestly this is one of my this is probably my favorite cover of any book i've read so far this year oh wow okay i, I, just, I love it yeah that was i, I do want we need to go back and talk about joanna's we could talk about sabbath yeah uh sabbath of the fox devils that is michael bukowski did that cover and mm -hmm. he did the cover for zombie punks fuck off and for the new flesh and he's a philadelphia artist who's like deep in the punk and metal scene and has done album artwork for a bunch of like hardcore bands and stuff. Right. And then he also has done artwork for a lot of small presses and books in the weird fiction world. And that guy is so cool. And his stuff is so fucking good. 
that as I was writing that book, and I read, I wrote that book for like a long time. It was kind of a slow burn. Yeah. Mo died in the middle of it, so I stopped writing it. And like the middle of me writing it, I stopped writing it, and then came back to it after Tawala and Ash when I felt like I can now write this without it having to be the types of stories I was writing. Mm -hmm. you, know, you touch on that in the, in the afterward too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't want to like, yeah, I just didn't want to have it be like super impacted by that. Cause it's just a different story. And, but the whole time I was writing it, I was like, once I had worked with Michael once, I was like, this, he's the guy, like he's the guy for that fucking cover. Uh, and he nailed it. Like he, everything. And he did the cover text too. Like he, yeah. He, yeah, the, the text yeah. looks great. I love artwork like that because I used to draw stuff like this when I was a kid. I oh, mean, when cool. I was younger. I mean, yeah. I mean, I haven't done it in, in thirty years, but yeah, that's what I, I used to do. That stuff. It's, I mean, whenever I see like artwork like this, it catches my eye. Yeah, like the the creepies cart without giving too much away. The creepies cartoon in here. This is totally what I pictured the cartoon looking like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I had uh, I have a partially. I was just so my girlfriend just finally read that book. Is it reading that book? And she's like, I want episodes of Creepies to exist. Oh, yeah. And I actually have half of an episode written, like a standalone that I was going to put in a short story collection. Um, like, has that ever been like a thought to make a Creepies like comic book, like graphic novel or anything? That'd be yeah. awesome. That would be super cool. I would love to. Because <laughs> I know uh, Kevin, well, we're a beard. He did the review and he said that he could totally just picture this like splattered across the pages of like a comic book or something, just yeah. how visual the writing was and all the blood and guts and stuff. Yeah, I totally love to see this adapted to comic book or. Yeah, that would be really right. cool. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. My my big dream is to, like, if there, if I could have anything done with that book, it would be to get it, uh, turned into a movie using all practical effects. Oh yeah, like like, like seriously, like like, like the, the thing kind of effects. Yeah. Like, it's it's got to be released on VHS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could you could see the puppets of the foxes, but you could kind of see the strings and they're kind of <laughs> yeah. when they move. The person's hand in their mouth. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But yeah, so we, Joanna's. I, I don't want to skip. Yeah, uh, no, no, we got watches wingspan. Uh, just in general, fucking amazing book. I was so excited when they pitched that to me. I was like, okay, I gotta fucking read this. And uh, they, uh, we went back and forth on a few covers for that because it was just like really like trying to figure out what would really work well. And we were at a point where it was like, I don't know, we kind of maybe hit a little bit of a wall of just being like, fuck, I don't know what's going to like really work perfectly. And Don Noble was, he did the, that cover and he sent like our last revision on the thing we had talked about. And he's like, I also came up with a couple other things kind of in this vein, and that was one of them. And it was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's the cover. Like, you found it. It's so funny how some stuff is like that. Some books, it takes a little digging to find, like, the mm -hmm. perfect image to, to put on the cover. And other... Even the, even the thing on the back looks good, too. Yeah. The king yeah, and yeah. yellow. Yeah. The, the yellow, the king and yellow on the back. Yeah. It just And some books, it's like... Fucking, oh, that's you right away. You get it. You're like, oh, I yeah. know exactly what it's going to be. It's just, it's funny that way. Yeah. I, the, the, the writing is on another level, too. I think when I read it, I was like, am I smart enough to be reading this? I didn't want to say that in a negative way, but yeah, I was yeah. like, really, I have to go back and reread it because I know I missed something. Like, it's just, 
man. <laughs> yeah, they like Joe writes the coolest prose. Like they're yes. amazing. They were so cool, like so fun to work with on that project. I'm eternally like grateful to have published that book and worked with them and can now call them friends because they're such a cool person. Yeah. So with, with Sabbath of the Fox Devils, this takes place like the satanic panic and stuff. I'm not sure how old you are. Did you grow up in the satanic panic? Yeah. So that book, the character, uh, Joe in that is a little older than me. Mm -hmm. I, it's essentially me as a kid. Like that yeah. book is... There's a lot of differences, but it's also very influenced by my childhood. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was born in 82. I'm 38. Okay. Oh, you young so, I was born in 86, so I'm the baby here. <laughs> <laughs> so the, like, Satanic Panic, I think people think of it as very much an 80s thing, but it was it went on well into the 90s. Oh, I, I remember a lot of the 80s and 90s. I remember a lot of it. And Mainly so, the music part of it, yeah. Music, yeah, especially. And so, like, especially in the environment I grew up in, it was a very tangible, real thing. Yeah. We had different preachers who would come to my church, like guest preachers, and they would talk about satanic panic shit. And they would show videos and they would show the I don't know if you remember like how much you know about the satanic panic, but there was all the, the like kids' drawings of the depictions mm -hmm. of satanic rituals that they yeah. supposedly endured. You yeah. know, like <laughs> all that stuff was like a part of my childhood. And I've always been fascinated by that time kind of as an adult outside of it um, and just needed to find a way to deal with some of the, you know, growing up in a hyper religious oppressive environment. And, you know, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to, I have a thing and I don't want to like offend anybody, but my least favorite trope in horror is Jesus saves the day from the supernatural evil. Yeah. <laughs> Conjuring movies, all most of them do that. There's a whole bunch of like movies where that's becomes the premise. So that becomes the solution. Embarrassing. I love those movies, but still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally Jesus's blood. Like they yeah. have, and it's, I hate that shit just personally. And especially coming from the background I do. So I was like, I want to fucking write a book. that's more in line with my personal philosophy where like, you know what? The, the darkness is the light in a uh -huh. lot of ways and there's illumination there and there's freedom there and like i'm gonna fucking write that and if the only time i can think to set that in that makes sense is the satanic panic where, <laughs> you know the characters like the parents the the town are like super convinced that there the devil is lurking right outside you know right outside their periphery at any moment just because that's the environment i grew up yeah. in See, I, I remember, like, in, in like, uh, in like grade school, you know, the, the at the time, the the cool fashion was a jean jacket, but you would get patches to put on it, like certain <laughs> bands and stuff. And there's a guy that he had all of these, you know, supposedly Satan bands because it was like Kiss and yeah. Lost and stuff like that. And he had the, the, the pentagram on there. And I remember, I think that's when he had that patch on there. The school finally said, "You can't wear that here anymore." And I would go home like. I want this jean jacket and I want these patches. <laughs> My parents were like, no, no. <laughs> I didn't know why, you know, but like, I don't know why they don't like kiss or Ozzy or something like that, you know, Jesus yeah. priest. But you know, now look at, I turned out fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. That's turned out fine. Pushing the, pushing the envelope there a little Jay. Oh boy. <laughs> I was, I was, I'm still in big into dungeons and dragons. Oh, that was a big thing too. You know, playing these devil games and, conjuring demons and stuff while you're playing the game you know all that yeah. kind of stuff 
Yeah, I same. So like my my parents were divorced before I was even one. So I kind of grew up in two environments, and it's the hyper religious, oppressive environment of my my mom's house. And then mm-hmm. anything goes. Let's play <laughs> dragons and watch horror movies and read comic books at my dad's house. And I yeah. feel like that dichotomy is what turned me into the person I am today. Because I was <laughs> it all, but it was also I was exposed to it by one parent, but it was much maligned by another, which is the perfect <laughs> atmosphere to make it really cool. Yeah. <laughs> my dad is an old tabletop gamer from like the seventies. Like he What's like, TSR and all that stuff. He like knew I, I'm pretty sure he knows like from way back Gary Gygax and shit. So yeah, he was yeah. like, a very early D and D player. Uh, and so he had all that stuff. So it'd be like Friday nights at dad's house, we would play Dungeons and Dragons or like Mech Warrior tabletop, or, you know, like RPG and a sand, he had a sand table in the basement. Like <laughs> I like totally bit my teeth on that stuff. And then at church, it was like, these are actual spells. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. It's just uh, wild that people would be so. I don't want to say gullible is the right word, but just like so afraid of like, like just the game, like yeah. really thinking that that's real and you're really casting spells, like you said, and conjuring demons and stuff. It's it's wild to think people thought that was actually happening. Yeah, and it's like what what a perverse worldview where you think you like actually run around thinking that that stuff's like really truly real. Yeah. Like and not metaphor or not poetry or not – I mean, it's the same thing with like anytime you watch, you know, those super far right conservative Christian pundits try to talk about art, construct any kind of art. <laughs> uh, Little Nas X, the Montero thing, right? Like yeah. how any part of that that's referencing, you know, an entire history of art is mm-hmm. completely lost on these people. And yeah. it's really, I, I find it really funny. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a conversation about art if you don't know anything about art. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And about, you know, like in that instance, right, you really can't see that he's not saying the devil is rad, even though the devil's rad. He's saying, <laughs> you called me the devil my whole life because I'm a gay black man, so I'm going right. to be the devil. Like, yeah. you can't see that, that there's a power in that symbolism that isn't because the devil's real. It's because mm-hmm. you weaponized your religion against a whole group of people for like their whole lives that he's reclaiming it. Like it's yeah. bonkers when I see people have those discussions. Yeah. Brad, you want to you play, you'll play a game? Yeah. Uh, we're getting to about an hour and a half point here. Let's, let's finish it on some fun here. Some game show contestant stuff right up. This we're is our play, So play you, got, trivia. You, you were part of the uh, David Cronenberg uh, tribute that we were talking about earlier. So you're a fan, right? Well, I had a message from earlier before this happened just to make sure because I didn't want to just come up with all these questions and they'll be like, what the, what the hell is this? But I just edited it, man. I don't know. Nothing yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, these are simple. You'll, you'll get these, but let's do this. You ready? Let's play some movie trivia. Okay. Snazzy. Snazzy. We're fancy here on this show. Did, did we hire somebody for that stuff? We spent the whole entire budget for the rest of the year on that clip. Great. <laughs> hey, my wife doesn't know we have a budget for it. Don't know. Oh, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know either. Okay. Number one, you'll get these. Number one, Debbie Harry of Blondie plays Nikki Brand in this 1983 film about snuff conserved 
on hardcore videos. What's the name of the movie? Videodrome. Got it. Obviously, one of the best. I love that fucking movie. Right, we got we got to keep score. I got to write down how many you get right. <laughs> he's gonna get all, dude. If I got nine out of ten without seeing half these, he's gonna get all of them. This one, every everyone in the chat's gonna get this one here for number two. Christopher Walken plays Johnny Smith, the man with psychic abilities, in this 1983 movie based on a Stephen King novel. The Dead Zone. Yeah, if you would have got that, we would have stopped right now. Just, <laughs> Just cut the feed. We're done. <laughs> exactly. All right. What is the name of Jeff Goldblum's character in the 1986 movie The Fly? Uh, Seth Brundle. Damn. Ooh, yep, that's three right. For three. All right. Cronenberg's first film was filmed in Toronto inside an apartment building where a bizarre disease infects the residents of the building, and one man is the carrier. The carrier named this movie Shivers. Kick ass. Well, not technically his first movie. He had two before that, but they didn't get the kind of distribution that one did. Yeah, it, it, I'm sort of throwing it in there and try to mess with you, but <laughs> yeah. You know, very low budget show here. <laughs> we spent it all, man. That five second clip, yeah. lower budget. Th this is another movie title. You'll get this. This 1980 movie release, which opened in the U.S. at number one sci-fi thriller about a group of good telepathic people at war with evil telepathic people. <laughs> Scanners. <laughs> so simple, right? Okay. All right, we're gonna get a little. And these are to consider the hard ones. <laughs> that was just a warm up. So, okay. Name two actors in the 2005 release "A History of Violence." Uh, Vigo Mortensen and Ed Harris. Very, no, those were one, one and two. I would also took Maria Bello and William Hurt, who oh, was yeah, nominated. Right, William Hurt. He was nominated for best supporting actor for an Oscar yeah. in that movie. By the yeah. way. Okay. Uh, name the 2007 film that also starred Viggo Mortensen. Eastern Promises. Damn. You got to get out Please. more, man. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing worse than losing your mind is finding it again. Comes from what 2002 film? Uh-oh. The only thing worse than losing your mind is, vi is finding it again. 2002? Yes. We might have got a stumper. Is that existence or is that spider? It's spiders. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we give him half a point on that one. <laughs> you want to go we'll, half? We'll, give, we'll okay. give it to him. We'll give it to him. Okay. He, he followed it right up with spiders. He knew. He didn't think. He had a 50 50 shot there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Weller stars in this 1991 film based on the novel with the same name by William S. Burroughs. Naked Launch. You got it. Who plays the gynecologist in The Fly? Oh, uh, David Cronenberg. There you go. Okay. So you so got nine and a half. Okay, here's a bonus. Bonus. What's your favorite Cronenberg movie? Do you have well, one? This is, I, I've had to answer the, not had to. I've answered this is the hardest one on the list, right? I've answered this question several times on different podcasts since that book came out. And honestly, I think the answer changes every time. <laughs> There's kind of like a running, like they're always in flux. There's a few I really like. I I think it might be The Brood. Okay. Um, I didn't have a question for that one, did I? I fucking love The Brood. <laughs> but also, like, I can name any of them. They're all, like, yeah. fucking, especially that classic period. But I love them all. Like, Videodrome Scanners, fucking Dead Ringers. Yeah, I don't know. They're fucking amazing. I think a lot of them are free on Tubi by, right now, by the way. I, I don't know why I know that, but Tubi's got a bunch of them right now. Nice. nice. 
<laughs> Dana says, since you win, you need a blue jean jacket with devil patches as your as your uh, best prize. That'd be great. Yeah, I'll get right on that. A little flashback. <laughs> All right, Brad, you got anything else for our guest here? We got to. No, I don't think we've done pretty good. About an hour and a half. Sam, thank you so much for joining two clowns and microphones here. <laughs> is that the is that the name of the new show? Two clowns and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We just what collapses. Two clowns with microphones would be the next thing. <laughs> Trademark. Yeah, it's been fun though. Yeah, it, it's been a blast, man. We really appreciate it. We could not have asked for a better guest for episode two of this future award-winning show, Paper Cuts. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fucking awesome. It was really good to get to hang Party. out with you and talk about a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it turned into. And that's what that's what we were aiming for. So yeah. Do you want before we go, do you want to uh, shout out where people can find you on social media and stuff? Yeah, for sure. Uh Weird Punk Books is at just weirdpunkbooks.com for the website. I've got a store there where you can buy all the releases, plus a bunch of other stuff. I've got merch and I have a tarot set that my late wife was working on when she died that we helped finish with a group of friends. Uh, I've got weird punk shirts and then I have anthologies and shit that I have stories in on there as well. Uh, and then weird punk is also on Instagram and Twitter, just at weird punk books. It's also on Facebook. And then personally, I have uh, Instagram and Twitter, just at Sammy Totep, uh, T-O-T-E-P, all one word, Sammy Totep. And for people that are watching, all the links for Weird Punk and your social media should be down in the description if they want to go check that out. Just FYI, this will be uh, running continuously on Brad's channel. You guys know him as Brad Proctor from the channel Brad Proctor. Uh, tomorrow, sometimes real, this weekend, I'm real creative yeah, with coming exactly. up with those names. <laughs> sometimes this weekend, I will upload uh, the same show to my channel for the one person that might be in the chat that <laughs> I. You get the sympathy view because yeah, I'll, I'll watch I'll, it on your I'll channel. Get one, yeah, and then probably Sunday, maybe early Monday at the latest. Uh, this will be available at least on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, it takes Apple a few extra days to to get it for some reason. But other than that, any parting words, guys? Uh, Go ahead, Sam. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Hail Satan, y'all. <laughs> y'all, he's got the y'all at the end. You got it. <laughs> All right. So For, if you uh, are an author, though, and want to <laughs> maybe be on the show, you can send the inquiries to the Paper Cuts Podcast at gmail.com. Jay might check the email. He might not. I don't know. I, I check it normally. <laughs> hey. Hey. I thought, I thought this, was a, this was a code thing here. You have access yes. to it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and, and we could we could go ahead and uh, give like a future update because we're booked through July. Yeah. So yeah, next episode, we have. Next episode, which is July Saturday, July tenth, and Brian Boyer will be joining us for episode yeah, a three. special Saturday edition. See, we're, we're flexible. We, we we do it when <laughs> when the writer can do it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So until then, uh, exciting episode of uh, number two of Paper Cuts. Thank you guys for stopping by in the chat. Thanks for uh, joining in, chatting with us, Sam. Thank you so much for stopping by with us. Thanks for coming, for my, Sam. For yeah. my co-host. Brad Proctor. I'm Jay Maddox. Until next time, stay safe, guys. Bye, Bye guys.